I want you to go with me to John's Gospel, chapter 14. John 14. We return to John 14 and we and we continue with our studies here and we pick up in verse 15 this morning and there are precious truths in these three verses we're going to look at this morning, verses 15 through 17 in John 14. So follow along as I read uh, from my copy of God's Word, you follow along in yours. And Jesus is speaking here in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, our last time together here, we heard from Jesus in verse 12 that that greater works his followers would do than even Jesus had done because he himself was going to the Father. Jesus was going to leave his disciples and go to the Father. That, that pointed first to the work that Jesus was going to do on behalf of the believer who prays in Jesus' name, or in other words, prays according to and in obedience to God's will revealed by the word of God, that fact that he says, I am going, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to the Father, and greater works you're going to do than even I have done in my absence, because, it, and, and first it pointed to this, because he was going going to the Father, and he was going to answer prayer, the prayers of his people who prayed according to his will, prayed, prayed according to his word. And so, God is going to enable his followers and does enable his followers to do great and wonderful things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because he answers prayer. He answers our prayers. Now we come to verse 15. And when we get to verse 15, we find that that verse 15 kind of ties this thought of doing greater works than those Christ had done to verses 16 and 17. So verse 15 kind of connects verses 16 and 17 what we have learned with what we have learned before. And we learn here that not only does Jesus make possible the answers to the believer's obedient prayers, Jesus also makes very possible great works of obedience. Doing greater things by God's enabling power. Now, when we think about doing greater things than even Christ, it, it's not that Christ's followers in his absence are going to be going around performing greater miracles than Jesus did. Don't read this, don't read that into this, right? It's not that we're going to be now empowered with the Spirit of God to go out and do greater miracles than Jesus did. But in Jesus' time on earth, his ministry was limited in space and time because he took on human flesh and he ministered in, a, in an area of, of this world, right? But when Jesus was to leave and he would ascend to heaven, he would send his Holy Spirit to indwell his followers, those who believe in him, and he would enable them to do greater works than even he had done in his limited time on earth, meaning he would send us out and we as his children would go to the ends of the earth spreading the gospel even further than Jesus Christ could preach it himself in the time that he was on earth. Is that Jesus' followers, after his physical earthly ministry, were, were, are going to be able to accomplish the spread of the same message that he preached even further than he preached it. 
So when you think about doing greater things than even Jesus done, you need to understand that that's what this is talking about, taking the gospel message even further than Jesus did in those days that he lived on earth. And it's not that Jesus was leaving his followers either. They, they looked, and he said he was leaving, but, but what he said, I'm going to send a helper. We heard it here in the text today. Yes, I'm going, but you are not going to be left alone. It's not that Jesus was leaving his followers alone to perform acts of obedience, but he would send his spirit to enable them to do greater things for Christ as they obeyed him. And there's an important connection there. So we come to verse 15, and we find there's a a very important connection between doing even greater works than Christ had done when he was on earth in his earthly ministry and the believer's obedience. There's a connection between doing greater things and obedience to God. Doing greater things doesn't happen unless we're obedient. So Jesus says in verse 15, look at verse 15 again, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, the one who truly loves God will seek to keep his commandments. Put another way, obedience is the test of true love for Christ. I read a booklet this week by J.C. Ryle. He lived in the 1800s, but his writing is so rich and helpful It has stood the test of time and so powerfully filled with truth from God's Word. I read a booklet of his this week called, Are You Born Again? And he summarizes there, I think, very well this challenge that we see from Jesus in the text that we come to this morning. It's it's too long a piece to share all of it with you here, but essentially he notes from Scripture that there are six marks that will be true of you if you're if you're truly a follower of Christ, if you are really saved. And these will be true of, of, of one who really loves Christ. He explains each of these in detail, and, and he notes that these will be seen in each believer in varying measure, so understand that. But these six marks should be true in measure of every true believer, and note how each of these is really a result of the believer's obedience to Christ. Listen to these. He, I'll just list them. He, he goes into details, but I'll just list the, the, six, the six marks that should be true of a, of a true follower of Christ. First, he says, no habitual sinning. No habitual. It doesn't mean we don't sin. It just means no habitual sinning. You're not controlled by sin for long periods of time where, you've, where, where you, you've strayed from the Lord. Number two, believing in Christ. How important to believe in Christ and his finished work on the cross for you. So no habitual sinning, believing in Christ. Number three, practicing righteousness. Number four, loving other Christians. Now, of course, we know that the Christian life also includes loving unbelievers, but we first have to get this loving our brothers and sisters in Christ right first, right? If we don't get that right, the world will not see our love and we won't be able to love the world appropriately. So, and, we, and the command of Scripture is very clear. Love your brothers and sisters. Love those who are in the household of faith, especially them. If we can't love each other, the world's not going to see our love for them either. Number five, overcome the world. Overcoming the world. In other words, not living by the world's standard of right and wrong, but, but living by God's standard of right and wrong. Number six, keeping oneself pure. Now, those are kind of helpful reminders that obedience 
and, and I, this is the point that, that J.C. Ryle is making in his little booklet, very important reminders that obedience is the test of true love for Christ because all of those are connected to our, our obedience. Charles Swindoll says it this way, Jesus established an unbreakable connection between love for God and obedience to his commands. Whereas Peter wanted to express his love in a blaze of glory with a sword in hand at Jesus' last stand, his master asked for something far more difficult, daily, consistent obedience. And this is, in fact, why we're given the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. This is, in fact, why God has given us his Holy Spirit, to enable us for great works of obedience, great steps of faith as we obey him and take steps of obedience. We are helped and strengthened for the purpose of obedience. Matthew Henry says it this way, In difficult times, our care concerning the events of the day should be swallowed up in a care concerning the duty of the day. You see, we, we get overwhelmed with, with the events of the day and the problems of the day, but everything should hinge on our obedience, and he was specifically referring to our obedience when he talked about our duty. The duty of the day is always obedience to God first. Obedience to God's commands. And there's no time we need to practice obedience more and for our own good than when we're facing difficulties. Would you agree with that? I mean, think about it. There's no time that we more desperately need to walk with the Lord in obedience than when we're facing hardship and difficulties. I mean, think about it. What should you do when things don't go the way you want? What should you do, right? Should you get angry? Should you feel sorry for yourself? Should you take matters into your own hands? Should you get even? I hope you all agree and say those are all wrong answers, right? No, we should not do those things, right? Obedience to God is always the first order of business for one who says, I believe in God and I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Obedience is always the first order of business. And this is for your own good. And it is for God's glory. So it's not for your good or for God's glory for you to respond to things that don't go the way you want with anger or by feeling sorry for yourself or by taking things into your own hands or by getting even. And we go through those stages, don't we? We kind of think, you know, what can I do to fix this and how can I make them pay because they didn't do it, my, you know, think, think like I'm thinking or, or agree with me on this or, or love me like they're supposed to love me or like me like they're supposed to like me or treat me with the respect they're supposed to treat me with. We respond with, with anger or we respond with self-pity or we respond with resentment or we respond with this idea that we're going to make things right ourselves, and all along we're failing to obey because we're not trusting God. It is for your good to, whatever you do, do all of the glory of God, right? 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, and that includes dealing with your difficulties. And I would suggest especially dealing with your difficulties. In all that you do, and especially when you're facing hardship, do respond to those things for God's glory. You must pursue obedience. If you say you love God, it will be evident in your life that you are in a pursuit of obedience. 
You may not be perfect. Let me just state it another way. You will not be perfect. Okay? But by the power of the Holy Ghost at work in you as a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will enable you to show your love for Christ by your obedience. And we're going to see that even more clearly as we go here. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we choose obedience over disobedience, are we going to show the love that we truly have for God. And to obey is better than sacrifice reminds 1 Samuel 15.22, right? Obey, to obey is better than sacrifice. So when I think about that, I think, you know, so I could cry out to God and plead with Him for mercy in my situation and say, God, look at the things that I have done for You. Look at how faithful I have been. Look at my sacrifices. And God says, that's good, but I want your obedience. You can sacrifice, you can, you can work, you can serve, and you've heard us encourage you to serve and give you opportunities to serve. But let me warn you, too, that we better not connect God's grace and mercy to our acts of service. We better not connect God's grace and mercy to our acts of ministry done so that God will take great, great pride in us and say, look at my children and look what I'm going to do for them in this situation. God would far better have our obedience. He would far more see, see our obedience lived out daily than see great acts of service done for the wrong reasons. See, you already have God's favor in Christ. You can't do anything to earn more of God's favor. You have it complete in Christ. Christ paid the price for your sins if you were His child. And it is far better to take even small steps of obedience as the power of the Holy Spirit emboldens you to trust Him more to take larger steps of obedience. You see, obedience is our part. And I think that's what we're seeing here. Obedience is the role of God's people. We need to understand the importance of obeying. But we also need to understand that God does His part. There's a part that God plays in this. In verse 16, we learn that the believer has a helper. Look at verse 16 again. The Holy Spirit is given to embolden and empower our obedience. And that's God's part. That's why Jesus gives this assurance to his followers in verse 16. And I will ask the Father. Pause right there for a moment. What will the Father give to the Son when the Son asks for it? What will the what will the Father give the Son when the when the Son asks for it? God the Son asks God the Father, what's he going to give him? Whatever he asks for. Okay? So this is this is your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ saying, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, there's something we should note here, and it's this that about the work of the Holy Spirit, we should not think that there was no working of the Holy Spirit before this time of which Jesus spoke. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is at work before this time. The Holy Spirit is at work. We can go back to the Old Testament and we can actually see the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit is mentioned at work in the lives of those who believe in God and honor Him. The Holy Spirit was active in the lives of believers prior to the resurrection and prior to the indwelling of the believers by the, by the Spirit of, of Pentecost, at Pentecost. 
So this, don't, don't think that the Spirit hadn't been doing anything up until now. We can see the Holy Spirit's working mentioned in the Old Testament. There are even passages that, uh, there that point to the work of the Spirit in believers prior to Christ's work on earth. But the fact is that Jesus says, look at it again, the Father will give you a, another helper to be with you forever. And that points to a new and more powerful work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers than, than before. Something new is going to take place here now in the lives of believers that did not happen to this measure, in this measure before. And note also that Jesus will send, it says, another helper. You know what that means, right? Another helper. That means there was a helper before this helper. Points to the fact that there was a helper which precedes the helper of which Jesus speaks. And that helper was Jesus Christ himself. So what we're hearing from Jesus here is that as he nears the completion of his work here on earth and he prepares the disciples for his departure, he encourages them with this truth. That they will not be left alone. And they will not be left powerless. They will not be left to fend for themselves in their own human strength. And do you realize, you know this, right? This is still the hope of every believer today. This is still the hope and promise of every believer today. We are not left to live in this world alone, but we are given the power of Christ. The power of God to work in us. To work through us as we trust God and take steps of obedience as we do our part and take even little steps of obedience God empowers us for greater works of obedience that bring Him great glory. But I want you to note something else that's interesting about verse 16. The word used for the Holy Spirit here in in verse 16 is helper. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and the word is helper. You may have in your translation the word comforter or counselor or advocate, but, but listen, whatever the word is, that's there in your translation, whatever word is used in the various translations, we should understand this about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is a, a helper and guide and counselor. He is a comforter in times of trouble. He is a helper in our time of need. And he, he's our advocate. And the idea of advocate here means that he supports us. And he speaks for us in a way. You know, it's kind of a legal term here. But you need to think about Jesus Christ speaking of the helper that would come and the helper that would indwell the believer is our advocate who supports us, who comes alongside in a way, in effect, comes alongside and never leaves us. He's our advocate and friend and helper, yes. But the point here in the text is that the Holy Spirit is far more than a gracious friendly advisor. Sometimes we kind of get that from the word comforter. The Holy Spirit is, you know, does comfort us in our times of need, but the Holy Spirit is not like a warm and fuzzy, fluffy comforter that you have on your bed, you know, or not a comforter like somebody who comes alongside you to encourage you in your times of trouble. Yes, the Holy Spirit does that. But this is talking about something far more incredible and something far more wonderful in that the the Holy Spirit goes even further than comforting us when we need comfort and encouraging us when we need encouragement. 
The Holy Spirit is our advocate. The Holy Spirit helps us, strengthens us, comes alongside to enable us. And the idea here is that as the believer's advocate, the Holy Spirit comes alongside to support and strengthen the believer's walk with Christ. You see, when you feel defeated over your sin, and you feel like you can't, you can't obey God's commands in and of your own strength, you are absolutely right. But God took care of that. And Jesus tells the disciples, don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Yes, I'm leaving you, but you're going to be thankful because something even greater is coming in my place. I'm sending the Holy Spirit a helper, a comforter, encourager, a friend, an advocate to come alongside, to indwell you with the power of God to obey and do even greater works than I've been able to do in my limited time on earth. And unlike Christ, who would ascend to heaven after his resurrection, this helper will be with the believer forever. We see it here, don't we? And that points to the change in the work of the Spirit. We noted earlier the Holy Spirit was present before this and working in his people before this. But now what Jesus says points to a change in the work of working of the Holy Spirit. He would soon dwell within and always be with those who believe in Christ. And that's why we hear Jesus say in verse 17, look at verse 17 again, you know him, it's at the end, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. But note something else that's true of the helper. Jesus calls the helper the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. We heard Jesus say this of himself back in verse 6 when he said, I am the way and the, the truth and the life. But what does it mean that the helper is the spirit of truth? What are some of the distinguishing characteristics of the spirit of truth? What does that mean? How do we understand that? First, I want you to note that this idea here is that the spirit communicates truth. The spirit of truth communicates truth to the heart of the believer, to the life of the believer, to the mind and understanding of the believer. We're going to see this later when we get to verse 26 where Jesus says this, you can jump down there and look at verse 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So here too is a great promise. Here's a wonderful promise. Here's a wonderful reason to be encouraged as a believer. Here's a wonderful reason to be thankful as followers of Christ. That not only... Do we have the helper? Not only do we have God in us helping us obey, but we also have the helper, the spirit of truth, communicating his truth to us, revealing truth, guiding us into the truth, actually helping us understand the truth. And that's why, and I hear some of you say it, and I've said it before, as you read the Scriptures, there are times when you've read a passage before and you read it again, and later you say, I never saw that before. I was never convicted in that way before. I've read this many times before. I've never been challenged in my walk with Christ in this way before. And it's because the Holy Spirit is revealing truth to you as you submit to His authority and His Word and His commands. 
You see, the, the Spirit of truth informs us, but also encourages and convicts of sin and strengthens and shapes our thinking so that our lives become more Christ-like in practice. And note why the Spirit of truth is such a precious gift to the believer. Verse 17 says, the world cannot receive. Speaking of the Spirit of truth, the world cannot receive the Spirit of truth. You see it? Because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. And the point is this. The things of Christ are foolishness to an unbelieving world. I think we understand that. I think we see it. It's pretty clear in many ways. But the Scriptures, if we, even if we didn't see it, the Bible says it. But the world looks at the things of God and says, that's foolishness. Who would believe that rubbish? And see, the world wants some visible proof. I'm talking about unbelievers who are blinded by the, the darkness of sin. They, they want some tangible, visible proof, some evidence, and they're not going to believe in what it cannot see. Look, I can't see it. I'm not going to believe it. That's baloney say about Christianity, to say about God's Word. And there's a reminder here of the Spirit's work in revealing the truth to the heart darkened by sin. Unless the Spirit does that work, the world cannot receive the Spirit of truth because it neither sees Him nor knows Him until the Spirit of God breaks through the darkened heart of sin and reveals Himself. So the disciples, in some measure, they're now benefiting from the work of the Holy Spirit, and they now knew the work of the Spirit, even if they didn't realize it at the time, because Jesus says these words in, in verse 17, that you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The disciples on that day had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. In some measure, they didn't un totally understand it or fathom what God was doing. But for the disciples on that day, Jesus declared this here in verse 17, you know him. What a precious reminder. You know him. Why? Because the Holy Spirit reveals himself reveals himself and makes himself known. For he dwells with you and will be in you. So the disciples, there was in some measure, they were experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit on their lives. And, and they now even knew some of the work of the Spirit, even though they may not have recognized that it was the working of the Holy Spirit. But even if they didn't realize it, and they, and they would have, that they would have an even greater work of the Spirit in them after the exaltation of Christ, after Christ's ascension, after he sends the Helper to indwell all those who believe in Him, they would, they would fully experience the work of the Spirit then. And so has every believer from that day on after Pentecost. What a, what a tremendous privilege for us as followers of Christ to have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, to help us take steps of obedience, to bring great glory to Him, to help us do greater works than even Christ accomplished as He spread the gospel during His earthly ministry. Because as followers of Christ, we have the same power at work in us. How wonderful that as followers of Christ, we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We have the God of comfort at work in us to guide us, but also to strengthen us for greater and greater obedience and for the revealing and understanding of the truth of God. You see, we've got to do our part, right? And God does expect us to do our part. And that is 
to take daily steps of obedience. And as we open His Word faithfully and and take advantage of it by reading it and looking to the truths of the Scriptures that He has so graciously given us, as we depend upon the Holy Spirit to help us grasp those truths so that we can walk more faithfully with Christ day by day, He emboldens us and He empowers us more and more to take greater steps of faith and greater steps of obedience to accomplish greater things in Jesus' name than even He had done. What a privilege! What a privilege to have God at work in us. If you're a follower of Christ, you have very much to be thankful for today. Right? And always. And if you have not trusted Christ, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've not put your trust in Him, you can put your trust in Him today. You can have that very same indwelling empowering, emboldening, encouraging, truth-revealing power of the Holy Spirit in you that you've heard me talk about. But you've got to turn to Christ in faith. You have to agree with God about your sin, you know? Because God calls us all sinners, and we are. And He sent Jesus' Son to shed His blood on the cross for that sin that we might be washed and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb of God. So if we can't agree with God that we're sinners, there's no way we can accept the free gift of salvation through His Son. So you've got to agree with God about your sin. You've got to see your need to be cleansed and made new and saved, we say. If you're not saved, you need to trust Christ. There's no better time than now. You know, you can trust Christ right where you're at. If you're not a follower of Christ and you know you need Him, Oh, turn to God now, even even this moment in prayer, and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Accept the forgiveness of God for your sins and thank Him for that. And, and I would be overjoyed to speak with you about, about your need for Christ. I would be overjoyed. I would be thrilled to speak with you today or anytime. But if you're an unbeliever today and you're hearing these truths about the wonderful working of the Holy Spirit, you've got to understand you don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have the power to obey. You can do good works this side of heaven without the Holy Spirit, but you will not please God with your good works until you repent of sin and believe in Jesus Christ. And believer today, you need to know that God is pleased and honored by your daily obedience. And He empowers you and emboldens you and equips you and informs you and teaches you and reveals His truth so that you can go on every day taking greater steps of obedience into the face of difficulty and hardship, into the situations that you would not welcome, but you can deal with them because God has empowered you by the Word and by the Spirit and how gracious God is in doing so. Yes? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these wonderful, wonderful truths from your word today. Precious truths. We, as believers, need to cling to and know that you are so gracious to give us the indwelling power of God at work in us. God, help us to trust you. 
Help us to depend upon you. Help us to believe in your word and help us to take steps of obedience as you encourage and embolden and equip us and give us strength to obey. And God, we'll take great joy in knowing that the work you intend to do in and through your people will bring you great glory, will bring great praise to the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, as people see the love of Christ at work in us and through us. And God, I pray that you would use us as a church, revealing the truth of Jesus Christ to, to a lost and dying world that desperately needs Jesus. God, I pray that if there's a soul here today that hasn't placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you would reveal your truth to them, make it known, make it clear to them that they need you and need to repent of sin and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, for forgiveness of sins, for healing, for being made new, and for being filled with the Holy Spirit so that they too might live by the power of God at work in them, helping them obey and bring you great glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.